Amen. Well, why don't we pray together? Pray after me. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Today is the third installment in our series on vision. A few weeks ago, I spoke on the principle of vision. And in that message, I talked about vision being a mental picture. It's from the Hebrew word chazah, which means to gaze at, mentally to perceive, to contemplate. The ability to see in your mind's eye the way things ought to be. Not where things are right now, but rather where you want them to be, or more accurately, where God wants them to be. Vision is a God-given revelation of where he is taking you. I can tell you that God's vision for Beth Emmanuel is far greater than what we see here currently. Amen? Each and every believer should have a kingdom vision, not just a vocational and personal vision. You see, we've highlighted a personal and vocational vision, which is fine. God doesn't mind if you become a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, or anything your heart desires. But God also has a kingdom vision that the people who populate his kingdom would buy into. Amen? Last week, Rabbi Carroll spoke on embracing the vision. In that message, she said that we need to know the mission and that the vision is where we are going with that mission. Lastly, she talked about how embracing the vision means you are committing to make that happen. Say, I am committed to God's vision. The vision does not go from start to finish without you and I committing our effort to see it happen. Do you hear me? Vision, God gives a vision. Remember, he gave Nehemiah a vision. Go and rebuild, right? The walls of Jerusalem. Did Nehemiah go and say, God gave me this great vision. I'm going to pick up brick by brick and block by block and do it all by myself. Did he say, I'm the, the anointed one of God and I'm going to just... Pray until the stones come into place? No, he needed people to help him. People to stand shoulder to shoulder, to roll up their sleeves, to put God first, their business second, and to do the work. Say, amen or oh my. (laughs) You see, that's a great transition into what I will be speaking on today which is enabling the vision, giving your life to God's purposes. It has been said several times, but God has a vision for each of us that is kingdom-centric, one that intersects with the community of faith here at Beth Emanuel. Kingdom-centric, right? Not me. We live in a me world, don't we? We live in the world of selfies, the world of me, mine, my four and no more. We live in the land of I'm providing for my family, and that's all we think about. But God has a different plan for us when he calls us into the kingdom of light, that we would not only be family-oriented, but we would be kingdom-oriented, right? He says he's putting us together like living stones, knitted and joined together. God wants us to be kingdom-centric. If I were to stand here and just talk about things that I see for Beth Emanuel, you and I, and you just respond by saying, go, Rabbi, go. I'm for you. Go, Rabbi, go. Go do it. Go do that. You know, Rabbi, that sounds like a great vision. Rabbi Carroll shared part of that vision to see us grow to 200 families, right? To see Jewish families coming from darkness to light, added to the shul, right? In the next year, go, Rabbi, I'm so into that vision. Make it happen. 
If you do that, I, I can tell you right off the bat, the vision's never going to happen. Because I cannot do it all by myself. Enabling the vision is about every believer, each and every member, and every regular attender of Beth Emanuel saying, I am willing to do my part, to play my role, to put effort in seeing the vision come to pass for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I trust that if you say and call Beth Emanuel your home, that you would consider getting out of the mindset of just you and your family and buy into a kingdom-centric way of living. Certainly Yeshua, when he called his Talmudim, realized these were men who had, were married and had families, and he called them out, and he said, come follow me. And they did. They dropped everything. They put their business to the side. They would return to their business, but they put it to the side for the sake of the kingdom of God. If you have ever received a gift that far exceeded what you expected, something so nice, so over the top, that just saying thank you seemed inadequate. You ever received a gift like that? That type of gift usually prompts us to want to do something for the person who gave it to us. When we think about what Yeshua has done for us, laying down his life so that we can live, when we think about the atonement he provided, could we be ho-hum about him? Oh, whatever. I'll serve you, I guess. I'll give some spare time if I got it. I'll do a little bit here and there. Does that sound like that's the proper response? Rest assured, one day, you and I both, okay, are going to stand before the living God of the universe. And I know what we think we're going to do. We think we're going to be perhaps flippant, but I, I'm going to just take a page out of Yochanan's book from Revelation. He who walked with the Messiah for over three years, when he saw the risen Messiah, he fell like a dead man. He was shaken in his shoes at the awesomeness of the Almighty. When we stand before him, what's really going to be important? Our kingdom or his? I have a hunch that it's going to be his kingdom. The fact that Yeshua enabled us to have a relationship with the God of all creation. Do we take that for granted? Do you think you did that on your own? Did I do it on my own? Did I just decide to have a relationship with the God who created the very material of the seats that you're sitting in? No, he did it. By his own outstretched arm. How do we say thank you for such a gift? We say thank you. We respond by giving back to God. And you say, well, how do I, me, a human being, give back to God? Well, here are four things that we can give to God. And that's going to be my message today. Enabling the vision. Giving your life to God's purposes. Four things that we give to God. The first thing is we give, give yourself totally to God. Give yourself totally. Say totally. totally. Right? We sang it. To love the Lord your God with your heart, all your, and all your being. How much is all? Is it 90%? Is it the good old college try? Is it, is it the best effort? No, it's everything that we are. In Romans, which is the letter to Rome, to the Messianic Jewish community, it says, I exhort you, therefore, brothers, in the view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice, living and set apart for God. This will please him. It is the logical temple worship for you. It's the logical way for a believer to worship God. Another translation of that verse is it this way, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart, 
as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Everett Harrison puts it this way in a commentary. He says, whereas the heathen are prone to sacrifice in order to obtain mercy, biblical faith teaches that divine mercy provides the basis for sacrifice as the fitting response. Isn't that something? The great motive for giving yourself totally to God is that you have experienced his great mercy. If you've experienced God's mercy, then you will want to give your life totally to him because you understand what he has done and accomplished for you. With all that, all service to God without that, I should say without that, all service to God is just moralism based on wrong motives. The only right motive is God's mercy through the Besorah. It's our response out of understanding what God has given us. It's a response of love. That God showed his mercy to me, so I want to love on this God. I want to give to this God. He doesn't have to pry it out of my hands. He doesn't have to beg me, coerce me, trick me into serving him. When I came to faith, I turned my life, my desires, my will, my future over to God and put it in his control. And I'll tell you what, it's not always easy when God asks you to do something for him that perhaps is out of your comfort zone. But I'll tell you this, every time you submit to God, it is so awesome because he fills you with his very life and he energizes us by his spirit. You see, what Romans is talking about in this offering our bodies requires us to engage our will, both initially and in an ongoing manner. So we must keep offering ourselves. Say keep offering. Keep offering our mind and our will and our emotions to God. We keep doing it on a continual basis, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, when we're at home, when we're at work, when we're at shul. Every time, you know, you could come into the shul and your mind could be somewhere else. It takes a moment-by-moment decision that I will worship the King, the living God. I will worship his name because he's worthy of praise and glory and honor. There is no one above his name. So I will come into his house and I will offer him my sacrifice of praise. Romans is encouraging us to use and offer the totality of our beings to God. In chapter 6 of Romans, it says in verse 13, and do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument for wickedness. On the contrary, offer yourselves to God as people alive from the dead. Now, it's true. Some believers look like they're still dead. Okay, but a true believer has been made alive from the dead. Okay, they have the life of the living God within them. And so if you ever meet a believer that looks like they're a little dead, you know, give them a nudge and say, wake up, as Kepha did, oh sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Messiah, right, will shine on you. Because sometimes, I tell you what, you can look at the body of the Messiah and wonder, are they living? Or are they... Um, Is there a pulse? You know people like that. You see, it's more than just avoiding sin, though. It's about doing the works of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom filled with God's people who have the same desires and the same goals as God. Doesn't that make sense? Hello? Does that make sense? If I choose to be in the... In other words, if I'm going to join a bowling team, which trust me, I'm not. But if I'm going to choose to join a bowling team, a softball team, right? 
motorcycle club. I'm 0 for 3. Join another of those. But if I were to do it, I would do it, wouldn't I? If you joined a bowling team, wouldn't you show up to bowl? Wouldn't you try your best? Wouldn't you get all the accoutrements? You get a ball and a glove and the chalk and you play the part. And you get up there and you try to do your very best to win for the team, right? If you join a softball team, you get out there and you do your very best. You cheer for the team, you root for the team, you play for the team, you win with the team, and sometimes you lose with the team. But you do it as a team. You're all in. Well, in the kingdom of God, if we say we are kingdom people, then we do it, right? Because we want to do it. We serve God with all our might, our mind, our soul, our strength. We give ourselves and throw ourselves into the righteous acts of spreading the kingdom of light. And this requires wholehearted devotion. And look what it says in 2 Chronicles 16. Because this, this is the eyes of the Lord. It says, the eyes of Adonai move here and there throughout the earth. The whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those who are wholehearted toward him. God is looking and searching the earth to strengthen the wholehearted. The totally devoted, the totally committed. The question is, are we totally in? Have you said to yourself, God, I'm all in? You know, I find that believers often, and I'm guilty of it too, we sit back and we complain about the world we live in. We sometimes complain about our country. We always complain about the president, no matter who he is. And we complain about our politicians and public servants and we complain, but we never look to do what we're supposed to do to make it a better place. Could you imagine if these people were born anew, filled with the Spirit of God, had the love of heaven in their hearts and flowing through them? Trust me, this country would be a different country. This world would be a different place. But instead of doing our part to see that happen, to reach our neighbor, our friend, our workmate, we just complain. And we say, boy, those people, they're nasty. They're wicked. They're dirty. They're filthy. They're, oh, they're disgusting. I can't hang out with them. They do this and they do that. Yet Yeshua walked right in their midst and told them the good news about the kingdom of light. Gave them, gave them a hope that what they're living now could be different if they put their faith and their trust in him. Do we do that or do we complain? Have we given ourselves totally to God? Or do we just go through the motions, a little religion, a little bit of singing, a little bit of worship, maybe we have a devotion? Or are our hearts consumed with what consumes God's heart? You see, I want to tell you, when you talk like this, I'm not doing this just a week or two. I'm doing this over 25 years. And when you talk like this, people usually tend to think, oh, Rabbi, that's for the ultra committed. That's for those who decide to leave everything and go to a faraway country and lay down their life for God. And I want to tell you that that is not for the ultra committed. That that is the standard. Being ultra committed is the standard of the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as being in the kingdom of God and being mildly committed, moderately committed, part-time committed. That's not what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is filled with people who are totally ultra-committed to him. That's the standard. Say it's the standard. So, give yourselves totally to God. The second thing is to give your service slash your time to God. It says in Shmuel Aleph, 1 Samuel, the only, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Serve him faithfully with all of your heart. Serving God faithfully is about being consistently devoted to his service. In Colossians 3, it says, whatever you do, 
work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Messiah. That's who we're ultimately serving. And my question is, Are you serving God? Are you serving his kingdom purposes? Not just your vocational purposes, not just your personal purposes. Are you serving his kingdom purposes? See, if we were in the service of the great military of the United States, your life would not be your own, correct? You couldn't get up in the morning and say, listen, today... I don't feel like eating at the mess hall. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to fly home today and go get some of my mom's good old home cooking. You would be AWOL. You'd have the military police looking for you because you're not your own. As soon as you signed on the dotted line, your life belongs to them. Your service belongs to them. You cannot do what you want. You do what you signed up to do, right? And trust me, your life would not be of your choosing. You would be inconvenienced. Even when you were tired, you'd be woken up maybe 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Get up, troops. We're going on a march. Pack up. And they'd take you out for 100 miles. A little walk into the wilderness. And you can't say no. And you can't say I'm tired, and you can't say I don't feel like it. You have to do it, right? You signed up. I wonder if it's the same way in the kingdom of God. Oh, wait a second. The scripture says that we were bought with a price, right? It says the fact is you don't belong to yourselves, for you were bought at a price. So use your bodies to glorify God. Hmm. You see, it is normative for the people of God to live lives in service for him. Like I said, it's not the sign of an ultra-committed believer. There's no such thing. That's because every believer is supposed to be ultra-committed to serve the king. In Devarim 13.4, It says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Where are you serving God's kingdom? Where are you advancing his kingdom purposes? Good question. And here's my encouragement to you. Invest the best of your service into the kingdom of God. Everything else will decay and fade. Only investing in the eternal kingdom will bring eternal dividends. Do you hear that? When you invest in the eternal kingdom, then and only then do you get eternal dividends. But service takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. It takes effort. It takes inconvenience. So be wise in how you invest your time. Where are you investing Most of your time. Are you investing it in God's kingdom purposes? The last time I looked, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's kingdom, God's priorities, God's desire. And I know what happens. Listen, Hasatan is a liar, and this is what he does to us. He likes to, you know, he is the king of fear. And what he likes to do is get us fearful. If I give first to God, and if I say, God, I'm all in to your purposes, what about my life? What about my kids? And what about my family? And what about a house to live in and, and, and stuff? But Matthew addresses that, doesn't he? He says, when you seek first the kingdom of God, All the things that Hasatan would have you worry about, he'll take care of. They'll be provided for you. You see, 
The enemy wants us fearful that if I give, if I really give everything to God, I don't know what's going to happen to the rest of my life. I want, I want to reassure you this. When we give everything to God, God has a far greater plan and vision for your life than you can ever have. And let me tell you what, he's a master at making it come to pass. Better than you, better than me. So be wise in how you invest your time. Here's that verse. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So how do I serve God? Specifically, how would you, how could you serve God here? At Beth Emmanuel, assuming that you're called here. Well, you can give your service to God by serving the children. Sing it every week in the Vahafta. To teach it to our children. When we get up, when we go along the way, when we lie down, that we would teach our kids. Right? To serve God. Well, the children here, we have a great children's ministry here. There's an opportunity here for you to invest into children. To give service to God with your talents. To give service to God through the ministry of presence. Friends, there's some people sitting in this room right now that just need someone to come up to them and spend a few minutes with them. To hear that someone loves them, is thinking about them, praying for them. Ministry of presence. You coming here today is ministry of presence. Trust me, I wouldn't have had as good a time as I did today if you weren't here. That's the truth. When you come, it's better. Your very presence. You don't have to say anything. Often I can't greet you because I'm here behind, you know, all the different uh, wires and equipment. And I could say Shabbat Shalom from afar. Often I try to get out into the foyer and meet everyone and tell you Shabbat Shalom. Some of you try to skirt around me. I see you. <laughs> but I try to do it because you being here makes it better. And being together is better. Your presence counts. You can give your service to God by participating in the simple acts of service we do here, like work days, cleaning team, ONEG committee, general building maintenance. Do you know they were concerned about those things in the first century? You know, when God said, let's build a temple, he didn't say, okay, let's throw up some sheetrock. Let's tape it up. Get some Benjamin Moore and paint it, did he? He said, no, let's, how about gold? How's that? How about hammered gold with cherubim, right? How about the best and finest of materials? And let's weave something magnificent. Huh? Let's do it right. Give to God by being a friend to the friendless. Give your service to God by going out on outreach. Friends, you are, I could clear a room this quick. This is how you clean the room of believers. Two words. Prayer. Where'd they go? <laughs> Prayer and outreach. We're going to go on outreach next weekend. Man, attendance is really low. What happened, everyone? You say egg, You say bagels? <laughs> Cake? And listen, even for the rabbi, you say donut, you got me. You say we're having donuts, I'm in. I don't care where it is. I don't care what kind of donut. It could be plain. It's good. 
But what about outreach? And what about prayer? Hmm. Sharing your faith. That's how we give to God. There's so many ways to make yourselves available. And again, if Beth Emanuel is your home congregation, you should be active in serving here. So, so we give to God ourselves, totally. We give to God our service and our time. What else can we give God? Number three, we could give our prayers. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And look, he puts it in this context, then if, say if, if. You know what that means? That's not a guarantee. He understands that his people may not do it. But he says, if my people who bear my name, if you bear his name, give me a wave, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their evil ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Gee, we were talking about how come America's going down the tubes? Why does sin abound? Why does it seem so dark? But the word says, if my people. Friends, I can tell you that when we have prayer meetings, there's just a handful of us here. And yeah, we're not, you know, not everyone's an eloquent prayer. You know, if you could speak at any level, you could pray. Because prayer really comes from your heart. It's a cry of your heart to the heart of God. And it says, if my people who bear my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven. And I will. Say, I will. That's God saying it. Do you think God lies? No, he's not a man and he cannot lie. I will hear and I will heal. That's what he says. You see, the time you spend praying is never wasted. Even when it appears that they are ineffective. You ever pray and you feel like it's ineffective? Man, I've been praying for years. It's ineffective. Friend, I can just give you the testimony of my own father. I prayed for years and years from the day I became born anew. I prayed for my father day in and day out, shared with him day in and day out. And day in and day out and day in and day out. Mike, I'll let you know when I'm ready. Day in and day out in 65 and 70 and 75 and 76 and 77 and 78 and now 80 years old in the last few months of his life, after years and years and wondering, God, will you ever heed this prayer? He doesn't have long. And on a New Year's Eve, one night, my wife turned to him that she had many times before, many times on a Shabbat, he came over for Shabbat dinner, and she said, Papa Joe, do you want to receive Yeshua? And with tears in his eyes, he says, I do. I never saw my father cry one time in my whole entire life. Not even one time. My father wept uncontrollably like a baby, touched by the power and the presence and the spirit of God. That didn't come overnight. It wasn't my first prayer or thousandth prayer or 10,000th prayer. It wasn't one year or five years. It was over 20 years. But God did. He passed on just a few months later. Now his name written in the book of life. Prayer works never works in our timing, I've come to conclude, but it always works. And even when you think it's doing nothing, trust me, it's moving the dial ever so slightly until it happens. 
Look, Mark tells us, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for, say whatever. whatever. Salvation, provision, whatever. You ask for a prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Are you asking for souls in prayer? Are you praying for the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Are you praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Are you praying for God to grant you opportunities to serve kingdom affairs each and every day? Timothy says, I desire then that in every place men, high men, should lift, should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Sometimes the men don't step up to the plate in the kingdom of God that should never be. He said, men, I'm looking for you to pray and to lift up holy hands before God, to be the priest of your home, to be leaders in the community of faith, to step forth and and say, yes, I will pray to see God's purposes happen. We should pray without ceasing, which is to be prayer conscious. We should pray in the spirit. We should pray with our understanding. We should pray with our spouses. We should pray with our children. We should pray at meals. We should pray before work. And we should pray in the congregation. Mark says that if we pray in faith, we will get what we pray for. Since that is true, every faith-filled believer should spend a considerable amount of time in prayer, don't you think? If you believe prayer works, if you believe that verse we read, that whatever you ask for in prayer, you will have Who wouldn't pray then? I'll tell you why we don't pray. Because we thought that when we prayed the first time, it was going to be instantaneous. See, maybe I would have thought that, man, God wants my father to come to faith. I want my father to come to faith. But I prayed and 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 he didn't come to faith. I'm giving up. Prayer doesn't work. It's not true. It hasn't happened. Could have did that, but God would always remind me, be faithful. Stick to it. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And so sometimes we really don't believe that because our experience has been, I prayed, Rabbi, and my situation isn't changed. I prayed, Rabbi, and my son's still astray. Rabbi, I've prayed. The provision isn't here. God, I prayed. The healing hasn't come. Keep praying. There is no better person to put your hope in than God. It says the prayer of a person person living right with God is something powerful and to be reckoned with. Eliyahu, for instance, human, just like us, because we tend to think the, the Nevi'im, the prophets, were these giant men of God. Yeah, they were great men of God, but they were human, just like you. No, any, no, they weren't holier than you. They were just like you. He prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and everything started growing again. Why? Because the effect, right? The effectual fervent prayers of the righteous person accomplishes much. Well, you could say, and I know, I could, boy, I tell you, let me tell you, the devil's a liar. Say it. Hasatan is a liar. Because I could hear it as I said that. Oh, Rabbi, I'm not righteous. You had to see what the throwdown we had in the car on the way over. You had to, you had to see how I was with my kids. Ugh. You had to see what I said to my spouse. Oh, I'm not righteous. How could I go before God and expect him to hear my prayer? Uh, let me tell you how. Because you are righteous. You are the righteousness of God, not in yourself, in the Messiah. Because if we had to rely on ourselves, we'd all be in trouble. Matter of fact, we could all just pack it up, lock the door, and go home. But the truth is, we are not relying on ourselves, our own righteousness. 
We are the righteousness of God in the Messiah. That's why I could boldly go before God in prayer. You could boldly go before God in prayer and say, God, I am here at your throne. You've given me permission. You've made me righteous. And now I ask you, God, to save my loved one. And you don't have to feel guilty because the little outburst you might have had. You don't have to feel guilty because you blew it. You can feel redeemed and blessed that he gave you access to the kingdom of light based on the sacrifice, not that you made, but that he made in his son. So don't let the enemy put that one on you because he's a liar. Don't let him do it. We call ourselves believers. If we are believers in God, then we're believers in prayer. Amen? Prayer is one of the vital components to accomplish God's vision to save the world. If you want to give to God, give him a prayer life that will accomplish his purposes. On Listen, you could, there, there's a high level of prayer and then there's a lower level. Let me give you the lower level. The lower level of prayer is when you go before God and you have a list of all your requests. God, save... save uh, my kid, God, I need some more shekels from the job. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. God, I need. God, I need. That's okay. You can pray like that. God wants to give you your needs. He's your, he's your father. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a higher level in prayer where you, say, go, you go to God and you say, God, I want you to do for the world, to save them, to, for my neighbor, to, to help them, for the sick, to heal them, for the lost, to find them. And when you take care of God's needs, it's uncanny how God takes care of your needs. When you focus on others, God focuses on you. It's amazing how that happens. But the enemy so tricks us to get us so self-focused. And okay, that's okay. God will answer those prayers, but it's better for you to say, God, you know what I need. You see my predicament, but God, I pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that you would move in a powerful way to save the lost of the house of Israel, my brethren. God, that you would do for them what they cannot do for themselves. When you're others-oriented, God's eyes start focusing on your needs, and you'll see they start getting met as you do for others. It's a principle. Timothy again says, first of all then, I urge, I urge, I urge you today that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. God, may it be so. And the last area I want to speak about today is give of your finances. You know, let's just say this. It's always courageous for for a, a man of faith person ministering the word of God, to talk about finances. You have to almost wonder if you're going to get stoned when you talk about finances. But let me tell you, finances are key. People can be willing to give in many areas, but when it comes to money, that is where the true test lies. Remember what the word says. It says you can't serve God and... Isn't that odd? Out of all the things God could have said, that you can't serve God in idols, you can't serve God and uh, other people, right? He could have said a lot of things. You cannot serve God and money. The rich young ruler was willing to do anything Yeshua said except give his money. Isn't that something? He was willing to do anything but give the money. And the giving of the money kept him from God's plan. Isn't that something? 
You see, God doesn't have to use money from his children to accomplish things in the kingdom, but he chooses to use money. And the whole world has made money their God. I don't know if you noticed. But for the believer, the tithe and the offering of our wealth signifies that God is Lord of our entire life. The truth is, if you have taken the first step of giving yourself totally and your entire life to God, all the others are a natural progression. If you do the first one, you'll never have a problem with the last one. That's why it's so simple. I never had a problem giving to God. When he asked for 10%, I never, now let me tell you this, I never gave God 10% of my money, ever. More like 20% or more. And I can say it's a simple reason. Why? Because where I was before God came into my life, I was totally into that lifestyle. And when God ransomed me out of that life, my old life, just like your old life, whatever it was, I said, God, I'm all in. And when God asked for my money, I said, that's all? That's all you want from me? I mean, who am I for what you did for me to give you 10%? God, I'll give you more than 10%. God, I'm into your kingdom. I'm into your kingship. The truth is, if you have taken that, you're not going to have a problem. When God has all of you, he has all of your service, he has all of your time, he has all of your prayers, and he has all of your finances. Mishlei 3, Proverbs 3. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. See, people don't realize about Yeshua. You know Yeshua had a treasurer? I know what we think. People think that Yeshua just sat around multiplying food. Oh, wait, we got to, you know, Yeshua didn't travel by himself. He traveled with a group of 12 and other women. It was quite an entourage. Now, you feed, clothe, and house somewhere around 30 people for three years, taking them on itinerant trips all over the land. And see how cheap that is. Yeshua had a treasurer. He sent them into the town to buy food. The women who attended Yeshua met for his needs, his physical needs. He stayed in people's homes, ate people's food. That happened because people gave to him when he walked the earth. I couldn't imagine if Yeshua was hanging out with us today that if he said, Michael, I'm hungry, that I would say, okay, Lord, give me 20. I'll go down to, uh, to, the, to, the, to the shop and buy you something food, some food. Would you do that? Anyone? No, you wouldn't do that. You'd say, you're hungry? Wait a second. <laughs> We'd be like Abraham did last week. Okay, Miriam, Carol, start cooking let's go get the best food and assemble it and give it to the king we didn't ask him for money we would be willing to give him anything he wanted right everything we have has been given to us by God God expects us to be faithful to attend to his business while here on earth Yochanan, John 3, 27 says, No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. That includes our finances. It's been given to us to steward. And when we come into the kingdom, to steward for the kingdom of light. When you're a child, it's hard to wrap your mind around the idea that giving is better than receiving, isn't it? What kid? Can you, it's hard to convince your kids. Hey, kids, Hanukkah. Don't forget mommy and daddy. Don't forget eight nights. Mommy and daddy, we're going to get something from the kids, right? Fat chance. 
But as an adult, you love it, don't you? I don't know about you. There's some things like when the kids were younger, especially, oh, man, I can't wait till day four. Because when we got them for day four, oh, man, they're going to be so stoked when they open that up. You know, when they're older, you know, they get socks, <laughs> books, although books my, my, my kids are into. But, you know, they get little things. Yeah. I don't want to say, dare I say, package of underwear. You know, that's, that's what you get, right, when you're older. But when you get older and you're a parent, you discover the joy of giving and you actually find it more pleasurable to give a gift than to receive one. You know, at the holiday times, right? If you're in a situation, a work environment, you know, everyone trades the cards. They give you a $25 gift card and you give them a $25 gift card, whatever. And it just changes hands. Big deal, right? But... When you, when you give something, it's, it's so much better to give. When you give a gift, you go out of your way for someone, you love to do it. But to get something, it doesn't have that same, you know, zip to it. Yeshua gives us another reason why it's so important to give as believers. Look what he says. We just read it, but it's worth reading again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Say treasures on earth. That would include, you know, your house, your car, your 401k, all the things, our treasures on earth, where moth and rust, rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But he says, don't do that. Don't be so concerned. But, but, say but, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Give and it will be given to you. Receive gifts, the full measure, compacted, shaken together, and overflowing will be put into your lap. For the, with the measure with which you measure out, it will be used to measure back to you. See, the way to get is to give. And when you give what is in your hand, God gives us what's in his hand. It's just the way it is. So in 2 Corinthians 8, it says, For if the eagerness to give is there... The acceptability of the gift will be measured by what you have, not by what you don't have. In other words, when you give with a full heart to God, whatever you have, and you give your tithe, your offering to God. Listen, if you make $2 a week, 20 cents. And maybe you're generous and you give 30 cents. Doesn't seem like a lot of money, does it? What could God do with 30 cents? I'll tell you what God could do with 30 cents if you make two bucks a week. Wonders. He could do wonders with 30 cents. And he'll measure it back to you. And somehow, when it's all said and done, you'll say, wow, I ate this week. I had a place to put my head this week. God's amazing. When you let go of what's in your hand, God makes a way where there seems to be no way. He makes a roadway in the wilderness and streams in the desert. How does he do it? He does the impossible. Let me say this, because some people get all bent out of shape with tithing and say, well, Rabbi, that's the law. Well, if you're in a Messianic synagogue, you shouldn't have a problem with the law because you know that God gave the law. The law is good, holy, righteous, and good. But do you realize that tithing predates the law? It's before the law. That Abraham, when he met Malkit Sedek, Malkit Sedek, who had no beginning or ending, no genealogy, no mother or father, but one who, like the Son of God, he was a picture of the Messiah. That Abraham knelt down and gave a tenth to Malkit Sedek, who represents the Messiah. Yeshua, when asked about the perushim and about tithing, they were tithing. He said, you tithe your mint and your dill. He said, don't neglect the latter or the former, okay? But do the latter. Because he talked to them about showing mercy, right? 
He said, don't neglect the former. Tithe. Give. But then go ahead and do the other acts of goodness and kindness that I want you to do. If every believer gave to God in these four areas, we would be blown away by what God would do. If every believer gave themselves wholeheartedly to God, if every believer was all in to serve and give their time, if every believer was into praying God's kingdom into existence here on earth, and if every believer said, God, it's yours first. Thank you that you give me finances to do what I need to do. Wow, what the kingdom of God would accomplish would blow our minds. But you know what inevitably happens? And we wonder why the kingdom of God sometimes seems anemic. And this has proven out to be true. Statistics say this, that in the kingdom of God, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. That's true. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. 10% and a little more, maybe 30% of the people give. So I'm just going to paint it this way. For people who don't give unto the Lord, don't tithe. Throw a couple of bucks in, whatever. Realize other people pay for this facility to be up and running, for the lights to be on, for the heat to be flowing. Everything you see costs money to make happen, right? Unless I missed something that they just gave it to us. They didn't. Everything caught. And how did this happen? By the people who give tithes and offerings pay for everything we see here, me included. When we built this building, I gave, I took out a loan so I could give $30,000 to the building thing. Did I have $30,000? Not really. But you know what? I'll pay it off. It's worth it for me to see God's kingdom go forward. But everything we see came from a sacrifice by people who said, I'm going to give unto the Lord. And thus, We come in every week, the heat's on, electric is flowing, the bagels are warmed, whatever it is, coffee's perking. You know, everything that we do here costs lots of money, but we do it because of the generosity of the people who say, God first, I want to give my tithes and offerings to the kingdom of God, the outreach we do, the gifts we give, everything we do. When someone calls and says, listen, I can't pay the electric bill, that comes from people who say, Yes, I'm in on the kingdom of God. I think that's wrong, don't you? That 10% of the people should do 100% of the work. Could you imagine? How about this for a vision? Could you imagine 100% of the people doing 100% of the work? I want to tell you, give you a little insight. You probably didn't notice it. But before service, I know my wife just like you know your wife, and she comes up to me and she has that look on her face like she's overwhelmed. Why? Because they need her back there, they need her over here, they need her over there, and that has to get done. And she's one person. What do you do? Unfortunately, right, The 10% that do have to wear multiple, multiple hats. And then what do you do if the person doesn't show up for the nursery? Or, as happens, the person doesn't show up for the sound, or for the this, or for the that. All right, Carol, jump in. (laughs) Right? It has to get done. But could you imagine vision with me? A day when 100% of the people did 100% of the work. That everyone, can you imagine, one, it would be lighter. It wouldn't be as difficult, right? Because everyone would, imagine, you ever carry a TV, guys? 
I have a couple of air conditioners in my windows. Can I tell you? They're still in the windows when it's cold. Because you know why? Because on my day off like tomorrow, I'll go downstairs, I'll work out, I'll come upstairs, I'll have some breakfast, and I'll make the mistake, I'll sit on the, the chair, recline, and then my wife will say, Mike, you really have to get those air conditioners out. <laughs> I don't really feel like, <laughs> you, know, you know, at 54, the bones, you know, I'm working out, but the bones are talking to me, you know what I'm saying? And then the one has to come all the way from the upstairs to the downstairs, that's three flights. So I got to, but I'll tell you what, when the, the kids are available, when the kids are available, and I said, Josiah, take the other side. Oh, it's like a breeze. It's a breeze. He could take it. I could take it. Doot, 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 doot. We, three floors, no problem. But when I'm doing it by myself, I dread it. And the ones in the downstairs are really heavy. So I'm like, like this. Then when we get to this basement door, it doesn't fit through this way, and I got to turn it this way. And now I'm going down the stairs. Oh, and I can't wait to get down. And then I get in, and then I have another one to do. And I'm like, oh, just... But when I have my partner here, and he grabs the other side, man, piece of cake. Two seconds. Don't even break a sweat. It's easy. Could you imagine? The kingdom where everyone was doing their part. Everyone's serving somewhere. Let me tell you. Be powerful. Matter of fact, we've been referring to Nehemiah, right? There, was a, there came a day when Nehemiah was able to say, the work is completed. The walls rebuilt. That's what we would be able to say if everyone did their part. The work is completed. That's awesome. I want to close, but before I do, if you're sitting here today, before any of this can make sense to you or even apply to your life, you have to understand that you're in need of a savior yourself. That you need saving. I need saving. My sin separated me from a relationship with God. And unless I take care of that chasm between me and God, I can't get in on any of this. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you're in this room and you never made Yeshua the Lord of your life, Friend, all I can tell you, it's the best thing you could ever do. It's the best thing I ever did. You know, you think life is good until you come into the kingdom of God. And you realize that the life that you are holding on to is like coal compared to the life he wants to give you that's pure gold. And for many years, I held on to that coal. I thought that coal was so valuable. I said, God, I can't can't give this up. This is so great. Until one day, God showed me Uh, Michael, not so great. It's not so great. It's not fulfilling that void in your heart. And the day I let go of the coal and embraced what God was offering, my eyes were opened and I was like, oh my goodness, God, why did I wait so long to, to receive the gift of salvation that you were offering me? If you're in this room and you never made Yeshua the Lord of your life, you can do it right now. Pray after me. Lord Yeshua, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, of my shortcomings, of my transgressions, of my crimes against you. Lord, I repent. And Lord, I choose to turn away from my sin and to receive your righteousness by what you did on the tree, sacrificing yourself so I could live. Lord, I believe that you came and that you died for me. Thank you for shedding your precious blood so that I could live. Amen. That's a simple prayer. But if you believe that, 
and you mean that, and you sincerely invited Yeshua into your life and heart, God will change your life like never before. I don't know how he does it, friend. I can't tell you. But when I did it, the day I did it, I walked outside and I said, oh my goodness, God, did you just dial up the colors? The sky looks so blue. And the trees looked so green. It was like technicolor. I felt like I walked from black and white into a color movie. Everything was so crisp and vibrant. Why? Because I was born anew. God did something new that only he could do. And it was wonderful. And I want to tell you, if you do it, and if you have done it and prayed that prayer, it'll be wonderful for you too. Come tell us that you did it. Amen. So let's stand to our feet. It's time to go and get out of here, get some lunch, whatever you're going to do. Don't forget there's a prayer meeting here at 2 o'clock. It's only a short hour. It goes fast. If you're a Hebrew, don't forget Hebrew today. It's 3 to 4. And we'll have a good time there too. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for each one here. God, your children, your people. God, hearts and souls that, Lord, have said yes to you. God, I pray over each one. Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, that they would, Lord, process, Lord, this word today. And God, that they would, Lord, choose to to give themselves to you, God, in totality, God, that they would choose to serve you, choose to be, Lord, a prayer warrior for your kingdom, God, that they would choose, Lord, to give unto you to see, Lord, your kingdom advance in this earth. And Father, that you, Lord, I know you, God, that I know you will do exceedingly abundantly above all they even ask or imagine in Messiah. So, Father, we bless them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon your very life, your family, and your possessions and give you the sweet peace of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua. And we ask it in his precious name. God's people said, Amen. Blessings. We'll see you later. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.